Welcome back to Tales of Southwest Michigan's Past. This is Michael Delaware. I am your host today, and I am going to venture back over to Hillsdale County for some very interesting stories. What I'm going to focus on today are stories of the small railroading villages that once were all connected together when during the days of the railroad going through Hillsdale County. Now, there are still a few railroads going through Hillsdale County, but these were communities that were built upon a railroad station in their village, like so many places across southwest Michigan that no longer have a railroad going through, and the towns have uh, either gone by the wayside or they've continued to endure. And so I wanted to give you a little bit of a collection of information of the smaller communities that are in Hillsdale County as presented by the Hillsdale County Historical Society. So come along and learn. Now, I became interested in this a few weeks ago because I had to drive down into Hillsdale County for some work that I was doing. And I drove through Allen, Michigan, and I believe on the sign as you enter the village... Correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe the sign said it was established somewhere in the 1850s or maybe late 1840s or something along that line. Uh, The Allen High School was built in 1869 by Albert Prentice at the cost of $11,000, and the original school burned in 1913. Within three weeks, a resolution had been drawn up to build a new school. And it's interesting, they show a picture of the 1904 graduating class of Allen High School, and it was three students. So this is a pretty small community. The new school is depicted in a photo from 1920 on the site. It has the Baptist Church on the left. 1945, the district voted to merge with Quincy Community Schools due to the pressure from the state of Michigan. Now, Allen Station was a mile north of the village, and it included a depot, it had two small hotels, and a saloon. And it had a large business of buying and shipping grain from the area surrounding Allen, Michigan. And Allen is essentially a farming community, like so many of those communities in Hillsdale County. And in 1879, history of Hillsdale County stated that aside from Hillsdale and Jonesville, Allen ranks among the most important villages in the county in the value and variety of her improvements. The brick stores are a credit to the village of the county in the value and variety of her improvements. The brick stores are a credit to the village and testify to the taste and enterprise of their citizens. So that's what was uh, stated in that book published in 1879 about Allen. Now, Camden, Michigan, also in Hillsdale County, was named after a town of the same name over in Oneida County, New York. The town was originally called Camden Center and was located on the St. Joseph River on the northern edge of the present village. Previous to 1835, this part of the country was wilderness covered by a dense growth of trees. Roads were non-existent in the area. About 1870, the village moved south to the current location of where it stands today. And there's some great photos on the Hillsdale County Historical Society website showing the blacksmith shop and wagon shop as well as several old homes and the 
images of the main street where there was the Alwards vehicle store on the corner. And on the west side of Main Street, there's some photos before a fire burned that side of the street in 1895. And that's what they have written about Camden, Michigan. Hillsdale, in the fall of 1834, Jeremiah Arnold wandered into what is now the fairgrounds and pitched a camp. He erected a log cabin and settled in for the winter. Jeremiah was of a roving nature, so when he, when he was approached by New York land speculators, he readily sold his track. Uh, due to legal issues, the Hillsdale Company eventually abandoned their notions of building a town on the former Arnold property. Joel McCollum, Rockwell Manning, John Potter Cook, and Chauncey Ferris then purchased the property north of the site and planted the proposed village in the thick woods. This purchase bounded by the railroad, now Carlton Road, and Short and Bacon Streets, plus a half block west of West Street, later became known as the Old Platte of the village of Hillsdale. And some of the early businesses that were in Hillsdale consisted of the Howell Street store, which included the Albro and Son Jewelers and Opticians, and later Kais Jewelers and then Lucy Jewelers. The E.L. Campbell and Company formed in 1873 with the John Potter Cook as a partner, and it was a thriving business. Cooperative businesses thrived in the early days, which called for someone to haul their wares. Uh, W.G. Stone and a local long-distance hauling business from his home on Manning Street is depicted here in some of the photographs. And it's a, a very large wagon hauling goods on the back of a pickup truck. There once was a Hillsdale Baking Company in town. It was on Broad Street Block to the north of the St. Anthony's Church. And Hillsdale today is, of course, the home of Hillsdale College and is the county seat of the county of Hillsdale. It is the largest community in Hillsdale County. Now, Jerome, Michigan, now in Hillsdale County, has an interesting history. In 1869, the planned Detroit, Hillsdale, and Indiana Railway right-of-way passed over two pieces of vacant land on the western edge of Somerset Township, and one piece belonged to Jerome Smith and the other to Mary Bagel. Filled with ambition as a result of the importance of railroads at that time, the two planned the village of Jerome so that it straddled their properties and the right-of-way. Then the railroad established its Jerome station before the plat for the village was even filed. The family of Lester, Catherine, Mildred, and Geraldine Carpenter ran a hotel in Jerome called the Carpenter Hotel, which was near the railroad station. And Jerome actually grew over the years to have several different companies, including the Jerome Creamery Company, and that had the H.S. Walworth store, which offered furniture, carpet, rugs, and crockery. Uh, it also had the Jerome Post Office, which offered rural free delivery mail wagons. So it's kind of an interesting little history of this small community, how it was started by a couple of ambitious landowners that uh, had the railroad passing through their property. Now, I did a whole episode on Jonesville on this podcast. I'll, I will kind of be brief on this one, but the village of Jonesville was once the county seat, and it was incorporated in 1855. 
Benaiah Jones was the first settler in Fayette Township, and he could hardly have imagined what would become of his village when he and his son built the first log cabin there on the west bank of the St. Joseph River. Early Jonesville boasted large woolen and cotton mills. Uh, The Jonesville woolen mills were once on the north of Chicago Road, and they burned down in 1866. And it was a little over six months the operation was rebuilt after that fire. And Jonesville also had the pickle factory, which was considered one of the greatest pickle industries in the county. There's also pictures here of the Jonesville Fire Department and the town hall and a three-story meat market, which later became a hardware store and printing office, as well as photos of the old woolen mill and the Grosvenor House Hotel. So it's kind of an interesting history of this community of Jonesville in Hillsdale County. Another town that had a railroad stop was Litchfield. During the summer of 1836 to 1837, the legislature passed an act authorizing the organization of Litchfield, and it appointed Samuel Riblett to preside over the first election, where there were 20 votes. Now, there's some question on how the community obtained its name since the original name was to be Columbus. According to the 1879 history of Hillsdale County, Mr. Henry Stevens was a turbulent man who desired the name of Litchfield. And he went to Detroit, where the legislature was in session, and by free use of liquid and other arguments prevailed upon the legislature to adopt the name of Litchfield. And I once again have told that story on this podcast as well. It's kind of an interesting little side note on how one community got its name. And, of course, it was a railroad stop. And then there was also the Litchfield Butter and Cheese Company, which was started in 1893. And in 1910, it became known as the Litchfield Dairy Association and continued operations in that area until 1923. The new creamery building was located on South Chicago Street and went into operation in December of 1923. And it had two large churns, and it had combined capacity of 2,600 pounds with the potential of making five tons of butter during a 10-hour day. So that's a lot of butter coming out of that uh, creamery over there in Litchfield. And one of the historic markers in the village of Litchfield is the bell in the park and it's a memorial to rose hartwick thorpe who is the author of curfew shall not ring tonight and the bell is symbolic of that story and the bell was dedicated in 1934 during the litchfield centennial celebration now montgomery michigan is an interesting community if you've ever been down there it's almost right next to the state line of indiana And it has a sign outside of the village when you drive in that it was once known as Frog Eye. And that was because of the frog ponds in the village area around that time. And it was originally known that, but the village became officially named Montgomery after William R. Montgomery, who was the Hillsdale County Register of Deed because he recorded the village plat at no charge. So... I guess his charge was to have the name of the village named after him. And uh, I think Frog Guy would have been a much more interesting name to retain uh, historically. But uh, 
they're pretty proud of the frog guy name uh, down there in Montgomery, even though it's known as Montgomery. Uh, there used to be a Montgomery High School down in there, and it eventually was purchased by the Crotty Corporation, which were the makers of the May West life jackets. The Lakeshore and Michigan Southern Railroad was surveyed in 1868 and within a couple of years became a major link for the village when it used to go through there. So Frog Eye, or Montgomery as you uh, know it today on the map, was a small railroad town. And I think after the railroad left, it just became more of a uh, bedroom community village. Uh, But there's still several homes down there in Montgomery. Now, another community that had a railroad depot built before the town had even been platted was North Adams. Great excitement accompanied the establishment of the route of the railroad in communities where there were trains and trains would stop were envisioning the added commerce and prosperity that it would bring with them. So a depot was built by the DH&I Railroad before the town of North Adams was even platted. And the post village of North Adams had a station, it had a freight house, and then there were several other smaller buildings within the community. Now, Henry Taylor, the North Adams blacksmith, has an interesting history. He was recalled and remembered as being a very, very strong man. And he had been a slave prior to the Civil War. And he had settled in the North Adams area as a blacksmith. And his muscular feats were legendary in the North Adams area. He could pick up his anvil and carry it around under his arm. That's how strong he was. And blacksmith's anvils were much larger than maybe the anvil you might have in your basement in your uh, in your workshop. And once he was offered a large potbelly stove that was in a local merchant's shop, and he was offered the stove if he could take it out of the store and carry it away. And the story is that he put his arms around the stove and carried it home without any difficulty at all. That's how strong the man was. And potbelly stoves, as you know, are quite heavy. Uh, Baseball also was an extremely popular sport in the early days, and whether they were formally organized or they were on a spur-of-the-moment group, baseball diamonds were common throughout the county, and North Adams High School baseball team became the champions of Southern Michigan in 1909. And the high school had a fire in 1927 and burned down. Another thing that was very popular in small towns around Hillsdale County is you would find pretty much anywhere in southwest Michigan, you would find opera houses. And there are opera houses in a lot of small communities around southwest Michigan. There's one in Coldwater. There's one in Union City. There were opera houses in Marshall and Battle Creek and Kalamazoo. North Adams had their own opera house at one time. So it's just kind of an interesting uh, side note about the history of that small community. Another small village that still exists in Hillsdale County is Pittsford. Now, the village of Pittsford was platted in 1855. And in those days, communities followed the railroad in order to be established in a favorable location. So... 
The village of Keene, approximately two miles north of the current village, was literally uprooted and brought closer to the railroad. Now, you find stories about that in small communities all over southwest Michigan. I've covered stories about that in Ionia County. There was another case of that that happened in Kalamazoo. And so it's just not super common, but occasionally you find it. And here's another example. There was one I gave earlier of one of the other villages that I mentioned in this episode as well. So the buildings were torn down and reassembled from the village of Keene, and they made their way to the railroad between Toledo, Ohio, and Elkhart in Indiana, which was running just south of... uh, where that original village of Keene was. And then in 1827, the Hillsdale County Directory, it stated that Pittsford is situated in a good grain and fruit country. So the directory went on to say that the principal manufacturer in the area was brick. And there's some great old photos of Pittsford that are shown in this uh, Hillsdale County Historical Society website. And it shows pictures of Mark Hinckley's Cheese Factory and also a sash and door company that was run by R.J. Gorlett and Son. And then there's the excursion train that ran out of Pittsford to Bobby's Lake around the turn of the century. And so the railroad stop offered a lot of opportunities, and there was a bit of a downtown built at that time that was driven by the railroad, and a lot of these were brick buildings, and there's still a bit of the original Pittsford Village down in that area of Hillsdale County, and it still exists and operates as a village today. Now, Osseo, Michigan, is a very small little village, and it's... uh, has a very short but interesting history. The Osseo Village Company was formed by a few citizens of Jonesville in an effort to keep the county seat from being transferred to the city of Hillsdale. So the village plat of Osseo was recorded in 1840, and on that plat were sites for county buildings that had been selected and preparation was made to build them but it turned out it was all a ruse that was put on by the Jonesville folks to distract from the votes in the county to have it go to Hillsdale and when the the residents that were living in the Osseo area found out about the ruse that was being put on by the Jonesville folks they ended up siding with Hillsdale in establishing the county seat there and that's ultimately what happened but there were some sawmills that operated in that community in the early days, including the Sloan Sawmill and the Sherm Cox Mill that were operated on Lake Pleasant Road in that area of Osseo today. Now, Redding is another interesting village in Hillsdale County. They were settled in 1840 and incorporated as a village in 1842. Now, Redding was originally known as Basswood Corners, And the coming of the railroad in 1868 to 1869 made Redding one of the best shipping points on the lakeshore and Michigan's southern line. So although the topography necessitated climbing a steeper grade to connect with the village, the town bonded in aid of the railroad, which assured that the railroad would eventually be built to the town. And so during the late 1880s, a number of excellent manufacturers and businesses prospered in Reading, and this created a lot of 
what we know today as the big historic buildings that are in the Reading area. And there was also a main business district that was driven by this abundance of manufacturing that was created by the Reading Railroad Station being there. And there's a lot of interesting brick buildings that were in that uh, community. And if you drive through Reading today, you still see a lot of these buildings that are still there, the historical-looking buildings. There was a Buffalo Tannery that was begun in 1877, uh, becoming one of the largest of its kind in the world. So once the slaughter of buffalo began in the West, their population quickly disappeared, and it put an end to the thriving industry that was once operating out of Reading, which was the Buffalo Tannery. And it was also the home of the Acme Chair Company, which I mentioned in a recent episode. Um, in the history of Reading Village and Township, in that was uh, covering the history between 1836 to 1911, the village of Reading was described as one of the prettiest towns on the map. So just kind of an interesting little history of the village of Reading, Michigan. And finally, I'm going to wrap up this little episode with a look at the history of Waldron, Michigan, located in Hillsdale County. Now, it was originally known as South Wright, and the village was reportedly to be named after Henry Waldron if he would agree to donate the schoolhouse bell. And that was uh, how the name of Waldron, Michigan, came to be. The Mitchell Research Center at 22 North Manning Street in Hillsdale, Michigan, has two sources of lists about the Waldron residents and businesses to this day. There's a notebook that was titled Waldron Recorder Index 1894 to 1946, and this was compiled by Pam Ballas in 2009. And then there's also a book compiled by Carol newcomer of Waldron, and it was titled Waldron, Michigan Businesses, and the People Who Ran Them. Now, Wright Township, where Waldron is located, was late in being developed, as during the early years of the land was under control of a lot of speculators, but it eventually evolved into a small downtown business district, and there's still some remains of Waldron there today down in Hillsdale County. I haven't driven through this town, so I don't know specifically uh, how much is there. So I'm just reading from the Hillsdale Historical Society. So if anybody's out there from Waldron and listening, you can message me and tell me how big your community is today. But the old photos show quite a bit of a downtown district at one time. Um, An interesting final note is a lot of these smaller communities had bands way back in the day and like Reading had a band called the Imperial Band and there was a girls band out of Hillsdale and there was a city band out of North Adams and there was a coronet band that um, also performed out of Montgomery and then there was the Waldron's Citizen Band and there's an interesting photo of the Waldron Citizen Band um, that is included in this Hillsdale Historical Society little write-up on the village of Waldron. So very fascinating history looking at a lot of these railroad towns and of course a lot of it was driven by this industry of the railroad. You know they were bringing goods and shipments and picking up supplies and they were picking up grain and shipping it out of Hillsdale County into other parts of the state as were 
anything that was being manufactured along these lines. And there was one of the communities, as mentioned, manufactured bricks, for example. And and so the shipping ability of the railroad allowed a lot of these small communities to prosper. And now that a lot of the railroads are no longer there in parts of southwest Michigan, because at one point there was about 9,000 miles of track, and that is during the peak of the railroads in Michigan between 1870 to 1890. After that, railroads went into decline across the state of Michigan, and a lot of those lines no longer exist across southwest Michigan. So you have a lot of communities that were formed, and some of them um, turned to dust, you know, and some of them just became residential bedroom communities of other larger towns and cities that are in different counties. And you can see this basically across southwest Michigan. It's pretty common. So it's just kind of an interesting look at Hillsdale County specifically and some of the little snippets of history that were made available by the Hillsdale County Historical Society. And I just wanted to pass along some of those stories today in today's episode. If you enjoyed the episode today, please be sure to leave a rating or review on whatever app that you are listening on. And if you'd like to reach out to me, you can always find me at michaeldelaware.com. You can also reach out to me at michaeldelawareauthor on Facebook, or if you're out there on Instagram, you can message me. My handle on Instagram is Michigan History Guy. And of course, if you'd like to order a copy of my new book coming up, Victorian Southwest Michigan True Crime, that is available on my website at michaeldelaware.com. It's also now available to pre-order on Amazon. So unless you're planning on coming to one of my events that's on my calendar to come hear me talk about the book and then you want to buy the book there, that's great. If you can't make it and you're living in a part of Michigan, and I realize that the shipping that I have to offer on my website maybe putting the book out of reach for you. And if you've got Amazon Prime, go ahead and order and pre-order the book on Amazon Prime. I mean, we're about two weeks out from the the new release. And so it even helps me out there if you buy it there because it shows that the book is selling right out of the starting gate. And I do get paid a royalty on any book that I sell. So if buying it through Amazon makes it a little more convenient for you, please do so, you know. And then when you get the book, please leave a review, particularly in the first week or two that you get the book, that would help boost sales for me out there on Amazon. But if you'd like to get a signed copy of the book, be sure to come to one of my live events that I have scheduled, and you can find the full schedule of that on my website, michaeldelaware.com. Sorry if I've had a little bit of a rough voice the last couple of episodes. I have been struggling really hard with fighting off this chest cold that has just been lingering with me for several weeks. And I'm pretty much living off cough drops these days. Um, So hopefully it will clear out. It's probably a remnant of uh, having contracted COVID a couple of years. And maybe this is a flare-up. Not sure. I think it was triggered by some toxic fumes I inhaled a couple of weeks ago. And my body's been fighting me ever since. But uh, hopefully it will clear up by the next episode. And thank you for your patience out there. And until next time, when we take another journey into yesterday and we explore even more fascinating tales of Southwest Michigan's past. Thank you for listening.